Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, thank you for joining in. This is uh, Thrive Bites. Um, I'm your host, Colin Zhu. And uh, we have a very special guest uh, for you guys today. And I'm super excited to have him here. He's a longtime uh, friend of mine and a fellow colleague. Um, this is Dr. Robert Graham. Say hi. Say hi. It's Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate you coming in. And uh, for the audience members, um, uh, you and I, we've, uh, we go way back, um, probably before, probably, I think it all started around uh, Natural Gourmet Institute. Um, you know, for the audience members uh, who do not know uh, who he is, uh, Dr. Graham has many, many accolades. Uh, he is an MD, chef MD. And uh, he's completed three fellowships, has spoken at so, so many different conferences, including TEDx. Um, and uh, he has uh, a lot of great experience um, into the culinary and lifestyle world. So we're going to have a really good discussion. And uh, again, I thank you, Rob, for joining in today. Oh, Colin, you know, I think we first met in probably like 2000, I think 12, 12 or 13, you know, yeah, in, in the kitchen uh, when I was bringing my my residents at that time into the kitchen to teach them the principles of a whole food plant-based diet, as well as lifestyle medicine and culinary medicine, which I'm so proud to be a colleague of yours. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. I actually remember that day very well um, when um, one of our mutual chef instructors and good friend, uh, Rich La Morita, pretty much invited us in to kind of just really take uh, a public cooking class and taking it to a new level. And I was really glad that you brought in your uh, residents at the time um, who are now full-fledged attendings um, or uh, full-time doctors for the audience members. And um, so I want to start by uh, how, tell us a little bit about how did you get to this point? Because Obviously, you know, Western medicine, conventional uh, medicine, um, we, we kind of have um, really a paucity of nutrition, right? Um, we didn't really learn that much in school. And I know you've gone through a very, very unique path. You went into integrative, you know, you got your MPH, your master's in public health. And how did you end up through this journey and then ultimately um, going through food? Yeah. So it's, 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 I think it's a great story. And I think it, I was born into it, really, um, and, and thanks so much for shouting out my TEDx talk. Uh, it was called Going Back to Our Roots, and it was, I believe, in 2015 when I had that you know, great honor of presenting really my personal story and how I got to where I am in this wacky field called integrative medicine. Um, just by way of background, if I can, Colin, you know, my, my mom, similar to your mother, is a kind of traditional healer. Um, mm-hmm. obviously not formally trained, but from Latin America and growing up in a 
very multicultural, multi-ethnic neighborhood of Jackson Heights, New York City, you know, I was born into this kind of home where my father is also a biochemist. Mm. So my father would prescribe or recommend, you know, the traditional medical conventional way approach of treating whatever it may be. Let's just say uh, belly pain. And my mom, obviously the primary caregiver, would take care of us in a very holistic, herbal, food-first approach, um, similar to what many people do in traditional cultures and health belief systems. And my father, obviously being a not a physician, but a conventional scientist, really never learned about it or was exposed to it, similar to us in medical school. And um, that kind of dichotomy or that kind of integration of care that was happening in my house, in my neighborhood, kind of formulated these early experiences of health and healing. As an undergrad, I did, an, I did my undergrad at Queens College in medical anthropology while doing mm. pre-med. And there I really started seeing that, you know, all these ancient tradition, ancient um, traditions and cultures had their own way of dealing with, with illness. And it really wasn't a, a medicine-first approach. It was really a food-first approach. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of early experience formulated this idea of, what about if we would integrate both conventional medicine and food and other forms of healing, which are traditionally called as complementary therapies, acupuncture, Chinese medicine, chiropractor massage. And um, I'm going way back. I'm going back to like early, late 90s and early 2000s. And I was blessed to be admitted to medical school at Stony Brook Medical School, where I started one of the very first electives in complementary alternative medicine. That led to me doing a residency in internal medicine. And again, not seeing this being taught in medical school or in residency. And in 2002, um, as the universe kind of brings you things, um, at that point, there were only four, two spots in the country that had a formal integrative medicine fellowship. Mm-hmm. And two of them were at Andrew Wiles' program, uh, one of the fathers of integrative and complementary alternative medicine. And then the very first ever fellowship in integrative medicine at Harvard Medical School. And um, obviously, there's four spots, you know, Colin. So I applied to all of them. <laughs> Grab bag, so, just like throw, throw yeah. a big net over. <laughs> yeah, let's see who calls. And, I, you know, I was, I was blessed again to be accepted to Harvard Medical School at the beginning of this emerging field of integrative medicine, learning the science and research and education of it while obtaining a master's in public health from the Harvard School of Public Health, where my concentration was in clinical nutrition, and one of my mentors was the great Walter Willett, uh, probably the most cited Mm -hmm. uh, academic professor of both medicine and nutrition, Mm -hmm. and has really formulated the field of, of nutrition. And so, again, being at the forefront of this movement of integrative medicine and focusing on nutrition, and as a fellow, my focus... And one of my research projects was helping my other mentor, David Einsberg, who did a lot of research in integrative medicine, start the Healthy Kitchens, Healthy Life, or Healthy Life, Healthy Kitchen initiative out in Mm -hmm. Napa Valley. And that kind of made me think about, wow, there is a way we can do this. Um, So, again, I'm really proud to be doing this integration of food and medicines really since 2004. So, Mm -hmm. um, like they say, an overnight success 20 years in the making. 
Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, thanks for that snapshot. Um, so, so basically, um, yeah, Walter Worlett is very prominent in the research of nutritional research. And I know David Eisenberg, um, you know, he's, he's also a pioneer and I've also attended that conference, uh, that you mentioned as well. And for those of you who are hearing in and don't know about a healthy kitchen, healthy lives is pretty much a marriage of pretty much, uh, you know, medicine and the culinary arts. And they paired up with the culinary Institute of America, um, to be able to kind of integrate the two. And it's actually a, a fabulous uh, conference where you you know pretty much all the audience members really consist of physicians, um, you know, dietitians, nurses, you know, everyone in the healthcare you know field wanting to really push you know health and wellness forward. So I think it's a great conference um, to kind of uh, look up as well. Um, just to kind of uh, add uh, to your point about the integrative of medicine, um, in terms of your patients, you know, over the years, where do you feel uh, that it actually benefited patients the most? Whereas, you know, Western or, compl- or, or, or conventional medicine, um, you know, you couldn't really give you uh, the, uh, the answer at the time. Was it something that you know, a patient will become stuck in, you find like your treatment protocols uh, wasn't really getting anywhere. So you have to utilize it. Like, how did you, quote unquote, integrate it into uh, uh, an example of a patient's uh, care? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do, and I just want to also, for the audience members that are not familiar with the word integrative medicine, really integrative medicine is the integration of both conventional medicine and all other complementary therapies. You know, think about it from acupuncture, biofeedback, chiropractic massage, nutrition, prayer, exercise. This is where lifestyle medicine comes into play for where there is an evidence base for its utility. So oftentimes we hear a lot of people who don't understand the meaning of integrative medicine or complementary alternative Mm -hmm. medicine. And it really is, as you know, Colin, it it is an evidence-based approach. So when people start saying, well, where's the evidence? In its definition, it is integrative evidence-based medicine. And that's what I really important, I think, definition, because this is not voodoo, this is not alternative, you know, and everything we do in integrative medicine is evidence-based. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I, again, I'm really fortunate, you know, to have never really practiced conventional primary internal family medicine. Right, because right out of my internal medicine residency, I went right into the Harvard Medical School Integrative Medicine Fellowship, and at at Harvard in Boston, a place called the Marino Center, one of the real first centers offering integrative medicine. So, immediately during my training, I was put into this model of care where um, all forms of healing were incorporated, where there was an evidence base for its utility. Mm-hmm. Now. Back in 2002, I think this is kind of important, and I'm sorry I'm regressing a little bit, Colin. No, you're good. You're good. To giving a little bit of background is really important because to really appreciate the, um, I guess, the growth of the field. Uh, So in 2002, um, again, one of my my friends and mentors, um, Andrew Weil, said a famous quote, um, and I'm just going to read it to you guys. Patients are increasingly frustrated with what they perceive as a limited set of options provided by allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine is conventional medicine, which basically amounts to prescription drugs and surgery and want more choices for wellness and healing than allopathic medicine can provide. 
And so that was back in 2002. And subsequent research has shown that the majority of people, 55 to 65% of people, want an integrative approach to their health care. But unfortunately, as you know, and as many of the audience members know, is that that is simply still hasn't been adopted as the prevalent dogma or medical care that we have in our society today. Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. offering care to people who want more choices but can't find it. And I think that's partly responsible, Colin, in the how medicine is done today. And this gets back to something that we've shared a lot of conversations about. It's not so much the, the, the type of medicine. It's the how the medicine is done. You know, mm-hmm. in a volume-based way, you know, it's not a value-based. And I know we're, there's a lot of discussions that medicine is going tra- to transition into a vo- value-based, where value is based upon health outcomes. But in today's current market, and as you know, as a practicing physician too, is that the more people we see, the more money we make. Not so much us, but the health systems that we work for. Mm-hmm. So it's driven by volume. It's not driven by value of care. And... I think people are getting sick and tired of just getting these, you know, eight-minute visits with their doctors, getting a prescription, and not looking for a more holistic approach. Uh, I think what we're trying to do, and I, we're both, I call ourselves food fighters in this movement, mm-hmm. is that we're trying to change that paradigm. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, to add to your point about that statistic, you know, I think the last time I looked it up, uh, you know, for every every two out of three patients that actually come, they've already sought um, for some form of complementary slash alternative treatment, you know? And I think that, and I think that, you know, uh, so much about food, we need to learn so much about food, but also about all these other, you know, integrative um, and uh, complementary modalities as well, because we have, we need to have at least a basic understanding of, you know, not just about each individual modality, but why, you know, they're pursuing right. it, why, you know, they are going from doctor to doctor. And, you know, for them, their perception is, is that they, you know, they've been being failed, you know, they just fails them, you know. And so, you know, I think at the heart of every physician, you know, um, from their oath and, you know, from their um, moral integrity is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we want to be able to help them, we want to be able to heal them, we want to be able to assist them in any way, shape or form, at least for the very minimal do no harm. But I think, you know, between you, you and me, Rob, you know, we're, we're, we're the type of people that really, really want them to um, go beyond that, to really thrive, you know, so to speak. So. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, again, you know, back, you know, 2006, when I was at Harvard, you know, there was a study, an, again, epidemiological study, um, I think by, I think, Walter Willett's group or Frank Hughes groups, one of those major researchers mm-hmm. that really kind of informed what I do. Um, and I think you as well is that, We've learned that 80% of heart disease, stroke, and diabetes, and 70% of cancer can be prevented. Again, Mm -hmm. can be prevented by not smoking, exercising, managing stress, and eating a healthy diet. And again, if if we would just change the discussion on to prevention, 
instead of disease management, I think we would just be so much further in terms of overall health of our society and in, in, in global and global health, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, to add to your point, you know, Walter Willett and a bunch of others, um, you know, internationally uh, really recognize, uh, you know, scientists and researchers, they actually formed um, a uh, EAT uh, forum commission, um, you know, mainly really researching, you know, the best, you know, diet for sustainability, because, you know, right now we're, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, you know, we're really at a uh, brink, we're at a breaking point where, um, you know, not just our own country and, you know, the economic costs, you know, is pretty much crippling our economy, but we're at a point where, you know, physically because of climate change and all this other stuff, you know, diet has a, you know, huge correlation um, and contribution to how our environment is going to be sustained for years and years to come. And so it's, um, it's a very, uh, to me, it's a very scary, um, you know, kind of uh, a dilemma that we're facing. And so um, I'm glad that, uh, uh, you know, prominent uh, people like uh, Walter Willett and others are, you know, able to kind of be on the frontier, uh, the front lines to be able to, you know, get it going. Um, Rob, I want to ask you a question. Um, so for the people that come up to you through your practice, um, I know you practice in, uh, in New York right now. Where, where do you feel is the common threads of, um, you know, people when they're going through their day-to-day lives? What do you think is missing from most people's lives right now that really constitutes, from your perception, true and authentic, genuine health? Um, a couple of things. I, I think there's that's, – that's always a good question. You always ask these tough questions. <laughs> because they're really kind of macro. You know, you're really looking at the macro, right? I think, well, number one, I think – Connections. I think it starts with yourself. The importance of honoring yourself, loving yourself, self-care, self-awareness. And I've always said that self-care is the best form of health care. And mm-hmm. I think this is really where connecting with others is really important. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we are not talking about is the role of social connections and the opposite of loneliness and isolation. Um, and just going back to the food part, because it's so important, you know, yeah. you often hear the term called food is medicine. And I, I disagree with it. I think food is food and medicine is medicine. Because if you think about food, maybe as medicine, is it's much more beautiful, right? Because think about how you eat food. You typically eat it with others around a table and you share and you laugh. And think about how you take medicine. You usually take medicine in the morning, in the bathroom, by yourself, one pill at a time, right? Never sharing it. And I mm. think labeling labeling food is medicine i think takes away from the beauty of both i think because medicine is very powerful food is very powerful but calling it medicine i think it diminishes the i think beautiful nature of that social connectiveness that food and eating together really bring so to your first point connections the other thing is i think people don't know who they are and i think being authentic and listening to your true self as they say back in the hood, keep it real. And I think, you, I think we have to keep it real with ourselves first. Lessons that we learn in childhood, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't hide. I think those things that are, and be, just be real. And I think, you know, with social media, I think it's such an amazing platform. But there's very, there's very few people on social media that show vulnerability and their true daily life and existences. Um, mm-hmm. It's often, you know, the beautiful plate of food that they're about to eat, usually with friends. And I think the people that social media kind of has portrayed itself as a 
all all is great. And un unfortunately, what you're seeing in Italy society, the rates of depression, isola isolation have skyrocketed. So again, keep it real. Connect with others and yourself. Keep it real. And I think the last part that I really want to focus on, and this is really my wife, and you know, Julie is uh, my wife. We've been together mm -hmm. for uh, many years, 19 mm -hmm. years, uh, together for 23. She's and, awesome. And, you know, she's, <laughs> yeah, and she's trained in positive psychology, which, you know, as you know, in your, in your title of your book, you know, it's, it's factors looking, looking at factors that make people and communities thrive. And one of her things that she's taught me is that just being neutral is not okay. Being north of neutral is a goal. Being north of neutral is thriving. And I think that leads back to my last point I want to make is that the Okinawans, uh, the people that, one of the, one of, one of the blue zones, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and if you want to dive into that too, Colin, we can dive into that. But the blue zones, Okinawans, people from Japan, have this thing called the ikigai. It's sense of purpose. What gets you up in the morning? And they say that it's rare for someone to find a single ikigai, let alone two or three. And I think that sense of purpose is missing in many people's lives. You know, they're bogged down by their job, by their life, by their finances, and really don't look within themselves to find that meaning and meaning and purpose of life or that pursuit of happiness. And so to answer your question, I think those are um, kind of the three things that people are missing most in their lives today. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I totally agree with you. I mean, the, the first point... Um, you know, especially connection, uh, connection and, you know, being around a certain tribe or a certain family. I think, um, you know, when we're giving these presentations about, you know, food as medicine, uh, so to speak, which is a great, you know, different way of looking at it. Um, and I thank you for that, um, is that, you know, so, so much back in the day, you know, every, everything is gathered around the dinner table. You know, it doesn't matter what color of your skin. It doesn't matter what religion you believe in. It doesn't matter what part of the world, you know, there's always some form of people coming to the table and having that social connection. And I think that's very powerful with the advent of internet and social media. It seems like we're just more disengaged and disconnected. And that might've contributed to, um, you know, increasing rates of uh, depression and suicide, you know, um, I would, you know, argue to, uh, you know, definitely uh, 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 to say to that as well. And um, yeah, to, to your last point, it's really about that sense of purpose. And uh, when you have a sense of purpose, there's a sense of, you know, reason for being and reason, you know, for living, um, which is also adding to that phrase, uh, ikigai. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have any, uh, last point? I want to talk about your, uh, your, your practice fresh, tell the audience, uh, yeah. you know, about, uh, where you practice, what do you have going sure. on? I know you're a very busy man, but, uh, yeah. Where can people find you? Yeah. So, you know, I, um, they can find me in, in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, on the road, on the farm, in the kitchen, <laughs> uh, it depends on where I am on, on, on any particular day. Um, but the last point that you want, you you asked me, you know, that kind of I don't want to re, um, rush over, but I also want to it leads to where I practice and how I practice. So a couple of tips, and this is going back to your point, Colin. And so I firmly believe that healthcare needs a fresh start. And what I mean by that is that my wife and I have developed a model of care, an integrative medical practice, which focuses on what we call the five ingredients to health or well-being. It is an acronym for our name, Fresh Medicine, F-R-E-S-H, Food, Relaxation, Exercise, Sleep, and Happiness. And when it comes to health, 
we always say we give you the five ingredients, these five prescriptions for food, eat more plants, relaxation, meditate 10 minutes a day, exercise 30 minutes a day, sleep seven to eight hours a night. And for happiness, other people matter. Surround yourself with people who love you, honor you, respect you. Your tribe matters, just like you said, Colin. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to experience this kind of integrative lifestyle, functional medicine, culinary medicine approach to healthcare, follow us on FreshMedNYC on Instagram, on our socials, www.freshmednyc.com in Brooklyn, New York, and hopefully expanding all over the city very shortly, which I, we haven't spoken about, Colin. And I just <laughs> wanna, there's a couple other things that I'm really interested and excited about. I'm actually doing a, a couple of culinary immersions and retreats, one with our combined chef mentor, uh, Chef La Marita, next weekend, uh, next weekend on Ayurvedic. I'm doing a dining with the doc and chef uh, at the Boulay Test Kitchen, which I'm so freaking excited about. And the last thing I'm really excited about is that the farm-to-table movement has reached, I think, a brink. And what mm. I'm going to be doing in the in early June at Glenwood Farms is bringing a table to a farm and doing a culinary workshop talking about planetary health, climate change, and the impact of regional, uh, regional farming on our overall health on a farm here in New York City. So where can you that find is, me? Uh, that is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you again. Um, we'll definitely uh, put up those uh, dates. Um, I'm going to put up, uh, uh, for the audience members, we're going to put up uh, his social media links um, so you can find him um, at Fresh NYC. Uh, Fresh Rob, med, thank med. you. Fresh med, Fresh so, med. Yes, Fresh Med NYC. My apologies. Um, Rob, thank you, brother. I really, really, really appreciate you coming on board. Um, I feel like you and I can really just talk uh, forever. Maybe we can do a, a part two to this uh, later down the road, but um, definitely know that you're a busy man and uh, we got a lot of great stuff uh, going to really pushing the health and wellness uh, envelope uh, forward. So thank you for all you do. Thank you to your team and your wife and uh, thanks for coming by. Colin, thank you so much for the opportunity. Hey, thanks, man. This is another episode of Thrive Bites, and uh, you can catch us here weekly. And uh, stay tuned, and we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow weekly for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.